What's up, everybody? This is LibUX, the podcast about design and user experience for libraries and the higher ed web. I am Michael. I'm Amanda. This is our first podcast of 2016. Happy New Year, Amanda. Happy New Year, Michael. blog on the internet is uh, engaged with and give you our predictions for the year in web and UX for the next 12 months, and then we'll see how we go. I'm not going to say that I think these are all sure bets, and they're not going to, I don't think they're going to be like easy. I hope they, uh, those of you listening are going to be maybe taken aback, but some of these are things we've been talking about in the last few episodes, so some spoilers, I guess. Do you have anything you want to, you need to say or plug or anything before we run right into number one? Do you have anything coming up? I feel really bad. I don't know the name of the exact group, but something for, I think, the Florida Library Statewide Council. I'll be doing a webinar on kiosk. Oh, is that going to be through, um, I say this as a flirting, is that going to be through like Florida Library webinars? Maybe. I, I presume so. <laughs> um, we will make sure that that's linked off uh, the site. But let's get started. I'm really excited because I kind of like trends posts. Even though I think a lot of trends posts out there are really bad or they're just regurgitating trends from 2014. It's like you're going to be able to scroll in a brand new way and they are describing what we call Parallax. So. Uh, Parallax has been around for like three years now. <laughs> I know. I'm going to list them off, Amanda, and then we'll just talk about this prediction, whether or not you buy into it, my argument for it, maybe, and we'll go as long as it takes us. I have five queued up, but then we also asked the folks in our Slack channel, which you too, listener, can join. If You, you can just find the details on our website, libux.co, and we got a lot of good participation there, so... If we have the time, I'll just kind of dig into those, too. Number one. Service design will be the new user experience design. All right. In a nutshell, what is service design? Why don't you tell me what service design is? No. (laughs) Okay. So service design is something that I've been seeing a ton of. Uh, There are just several new books published about service design. There's There's a new community called Practical Service Design. And this is really a thing that I'm already seeing toward the end of 2015, really picking up steam. There are job titles changing from user experience designer to service designer, and I feel like this is really going to explode. So what service design purports to be, it's hard because there's not really like a hard definition, and that's one of the things um, that folks are trying to address. But the idea is that service design is basically a lens through which you, if user experience design is about the user experience of a product, service design is about the service as a whole, an advancement, a service-oriented angle through which to view user experience design. Now, now this is all based off really like definitions of user experience that I wildly disagree with. Whereas I see user experience, you can have like user experience as a, a measurement that includes products, but does not necessarily exclude services. You can have the user experience of reference services, right? Basically, service design is sort of that abstraction of the quality of the service, the service 
orientedness of the organization, the decoupling from the product and the customer service around the product. That seems all very nebulous. Is it more people-centric? Yes, and that's kind of what they're talking about. But this is a difficulty for me because user experience is people-centric. But again, this is just where the sort of shaky, not well-defined parameters of what user experience is and the shaky, not well-defined parameters of what service design is are kind of like butting heads. My main prediction is, okay, while I have some like uh, ambivalent feelings about it, this term is going to really pick up steam. I'm seeing it everywhere and it's only going like, I feel like 2016, at the end of 2016, will be libserve rather than libux, I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, so what's number two? The number two is on one we talked about last time, and that is that the future of WordPress is JavaScript. For <laughs> for anyone who really wants to hear that argument or that questionable argument, um, we've got a podcast on that that you should listen to. But I'm maintaining that. I'm putting that out on the line as, like, at the end of 2016, we're going to we're gonna look back and we're going to be like, Michael was right. <laughs> This number three, I think, is um, a big one. So prepare yourselves. The library app is finally dead. Ooh. For two years, like, we have been fairly mean <laughs> to libraries who use their resources to buy apps, and we've been mean about the usefulness of having a library app. Some of our listeners do work for companies that make library apps, so we're not, like, really targeting you guys, but I think in 2016, everyone else, all the other libraries, at least who are very, uh, like, web-centric, are going to realize the truth of this. I, I think that the argument for the library app is, is finally going to be dead. Moreover... The app in general as a kind of like a distinct from the web. So having an app in the app store is also going to lose a lot of popularity. So I'm going to kick in earlier in Slack. Michael asked the general group, he was like, hey, does anybody know anything about a list of libraries that got new websites last year? And I was like, hold up, Google Foo. And I found at least like six of them just on the front page. And of course, every single one of them is responsive because it's not acceptable anymore not to have a library website when you're doing a brand new one, not to be responsive. And I think I think that ties in with what you're saying about the death of library apps. Yeah, I think, you know, the data is just showing that, well, first, nobody really wants a library app. And it's not just the library app. The data shows that nobody really wants an app or your business's app if you aren't Facebook or, you know, someone who would be uttered in the same breath as Facebook. These apps have, like, huge drop rate. It may be downloaded once, but it may never be used again. At the same time, you know, our main argument was that it's just a, like, you know, for libraries that are budget conscious, it's just a really poor use of resources to spin out an app. What I think we actually will see the like the rise of is uh, something like, it kind of ties in with the second one. The future of WordPress is JavaScript. And the future of web developers who want to like work for a living on the web is JavaScript if they don't, if they aren't experts in it already. And this is all tying into this idea that like basically the website or wherever, there's going to be, let's say it's a WordPress driven website that has an API that liberates its content. What I think you'll see is that this makes between like responsive web design or mobile first web design where you know over the last few years we have really trained ourselves to build kind of like designs that flex and grow they're not dependent on the screen they're even modular you might even have i don't know let's say a carousel that shows on a phone 
but it's slightly different in uh, desktop, it's, and it's just loading based off the screen size or based off the user context. Responsive and, responsive and then mobile-first web design really kind of like trained us to design this way. And now, the it's not that mobile-first and responsive web was like the end of this trend. It was just like a stop point. And the next stop on this uh, train is API-driven development, right? So basically, you know, like, so WordPress is behind 25% of the web. It gets, if all these sites have an API built into it, there's no really, there's no reason that there has to be any real definition between the content on website A and the content on website B or website C or app D. So what I think we're going to see is, you know what, maybe we're going to be able to build out hybrid apps quite cheaply because it's all pulling from the same content. I don't know. That That's kind of where I, I can see a lot of this going. Yeah, the browser support and the techniques for making websites available offline, so offline caching um, and stuff like that, and web notifications, so you don't necessarily need to have the app on your phone to get notified or the app on your web watch to get notified if, you know, that browser is open, you can get a notification there now. Regardless, a lot of these lines are blurring. There will definitely be presence of apps, but I think it's more likely that we'll just build app-like websites, but it's also going to be cheaper to generate an app as well. Cheaper, in, not in terms of like cost, but in terms of overhead and maintenance. So like you update the library hours, it's going to get updated everywhere that API is feeding to. So um, I didn't want to go that far with the prediction. I just wanted to be like, hey, the, the library app is dead, which I think is a broad enough statement to maybe even backfire because I just said that we're going to create app-like websites. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll have to see. We'll have to judge that one. So what's your number four? The number four is that we are going to see a lot more predictive or anticipatory personalized design. We've had several episodes of the podcast and several articles on the website that have been about creating services that really know a little bit about your user. Potentially, they know a lot about your user. Whether that's using the context of the phone. Gosh, we know that this person is walking within a mile of the building. It's also warm outside or cold outside at 7 in the morning or something like that. Or it's knowing more, like their checkout habits, their age, and the program they're in at college, or, you know, kind of any of the information that's available through some maybe like deep Google searching. So while that is certainly a ethical barrier for libraries and library web teams, this really isn't the case for the commercial web. So what we're going to see is just a lot more of this. Um, again, um, the ability and the browser support for many of these APIs, like the battery APIs, like, oh, I see that the device you're carrying is only 4% battery, or like whether or not the tab is even open, like, or, you know, geolocation APIs, like all these things, the browser support is getting really quite good. So just all these contextual information that we can have about the user and the techniques around using this information are becoming a little bit more ubiquitous. Uh, the support is much better. So we're definitely going to see that. But also there's just so much 
data about the benefit of the personalized experience that really you might guess that users don't want to, they don't want someone looking at their previous purchasers or whatever. We might say, that, oh gosh, that's creepy, but the data doesn't really support that. And in fact, the data is showing that this kind of creepy, this invasive valley, you know, the, the valley is getting a little shallower and that these personalized experiences are much, much, much better. So even if libraries don't move into the personalized um, experience, which I really think more of them are, we're definitely going to see the entire commercial sector move into it. I will say that we talked about this last year too. Are we like ahead of the curve? We at LibUX are deep thinking, cutting edge designers and developers invested in data-driven user experience development. So the data shows us only the truth and we make sure to look at this data when it's early. So yes, <laughs> we're way ahead of the curve. <laughs> So number five was kind of inspired by a comment that Tim Broadwater, who is with the Western Virginia University Libraries, and he's part of our Slack, and he made a comment about pleasing usability through larger screen and mobile screen smartphones or wearable tech interaction. And my last prediction dovetails with the fourth, which is predictive anticipatory design, and with the, the third and the second, which is which all has this very similar theme in that basically we are going to see hardline API driven design. So I kind of touched on this in the last one, but I felt like I had to make it a prediction where what I think we are going to see is this trend that began with responsive web design and then mobile first web design which is just teaching us to increasingly decouple our content from the display is that now we are going to, like new designs are going to come, the very minimal viable product are going to come with a simple API. They're going to be designed around that API. So it's not about the content and the layout. It's about the the content as an, a totally separate thing and the display as something that's also separate. So it may come, we, we may see like mobile first websites or whatever, but because of the presence of an API, the simple API is going to allow, you know, designers to really like move the service, the library service or whatever service into more sites and apps, just cheaper with less overhead, with more one-offs and stuff like that. Um, this is something that, you know, I've, I've been observing. This is sort of the trend of where I think like the app is moving. But the reason I kind of hit this trend and I wanted to like make the API driven design its own bullet point is because what Tim made me think about was not just the usability of like the larger mobile screens, but um, what he pointed out was like the interaction and the interaction between screens. What I think we are going to see are more probably app-like web services that you can start on your phone and you can, I don't know, consumptive content if it's like a video, you can send to your TV, and then at a later time, you can pick up where you left off on your desktop or whatever. So basically Netflix. Yeah, it's pretty like, like Netflix, right? And again, you know, so these are things that the big players have been doing already, but it's only possible not through a responsive website, not through an app here and an app there that are totally distinct, but around basically an ecosystem of services that are actually designed around the API. So it's much, like I said, it's much cheaper. It's, there's much less overhead to design a website and then to design an app and two if they're fed from the same content model. For that, like 
it needs to have an API at the core, and that and that just leads to just way more potential. So, like like I said, the APIs at its core. Not only can you spin off all these different things, but you can also have them talk to each other, or you can interact with your. I don't know. You have uh, you've decided to stream a video through your library website, and you send it to your TV, and you read the script as it goes along on your phone, or something like that. Uh, you know, this is kind of pie in the sky stuff, but. Definitely, API-driven design is going to be um, the core of future web services. Sounds good. I believe that web animation is really going to be exploding. So we, like we mentioned again, this was in Slack. And after I was like, oh yeah, web animation. And then Michael made his comment about new library websites in 2015. One of the first ones I pulled up, this is library.sva. Edu. It's nothing but beautiful, shining animations. There's a spaceship representing databases, a submarine for accounts and policies, and it's like little light is flickering and it's hovering in the water. The animations are really great. That like the whole like they're not just totally arbitrary either. It's like they have they're all clearly from the same graphic designer. It's um it's it's pretty cool. So I think that's going to be exploding. Like I think, believe it's Rachel Nabar. N-A-B-O-R? Rachel Neighbors, yeah. Yeah, I follow her on Twitter, and that is the person you want to be following if you want to learn all about web animation. I totally agree. SVA also brings me to my second thing that I've noticed. So their search box is, you know, about the way Google centers its search box on Google.com, but behind it is this full-width image. I've seen this on multiple websites now. Yours just launched with it. Yeah. Right? (laughs) I saw it over on Skokie. I kind of, sort of feel that University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, theirs is different, but I kind of feel like that was like the beginnings with the great big image in the background. So I'm seeing this on a lot of websites and our new website might be getting it too in May. I think it's definitely trendy. It's like, whereas there are other trends that you should maybe resist, it's, this one's not a bad one in terms of just, like, overall, like, usability of the website. You know, all of our studies, like, you know, that we've done through LoopyX or separately, all the studies that others have done really show that the bulk of the bulk of library websites exist for, like, their bread and butter, which is search, right? And a large, quick-to-interact search box just makes sense. Like, if you have to look for search, um, there's something wrong. Unless, like, you know, there, there, are always, there are always exceptions to the rule. But I think this is a very solid rule. And part of me kind of recoils because I'm like, oh, well, you know, like, all these library websites are kind of looking the same, which is exactly what happened with the carousels you know like just like three years ago pretty much every library continued to look the same um in terms of the elements that are on screen but the reality is that the web is maturing and it's at least maturing with good user-centric principles in mind and you know what like you can't you just can't argue with the data you know um and you can't argue with the user experience and if the user experience demands a big ass search like right in the middle then that's what you provide because that's going to not just satisfy aesthetically, but it's going to increase circulation. It's going to have real impact on the bottom line. Unless you happen to be nerds like us who like to look at other library websites, <laughs> the vast majority of patrons are never going to notice that. That's so true. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> library websites look this, just this like this. This whole thing is like, I don't want my library website to look like this library website matters so not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So my third one, I was looking at uxdesign.cc at their UX trends. And so number three, they were talking about designing around time, just-in-time information. And one of their examples is about Uber. Your car is here. Yay. And what that reminded me is when you were talking about browser notification, Mm -hmm. I mean, we've discussed this definitely in the past, where if you're phone notices that you happen to be at the grocery store and the library is nearby, maybe a little pop-up just comes up and it's like, by the way, your book's here. No, I totally agree. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's brilliant. Like, hey, yeah, absolutely. I love it. I, I love it when I have Facebook open in another tab and I get a little web notification that says someone just commented on such and such. So I don't have to actually like look at Facebook and the only, until like there's actually a reason for me to do so. And the only way that can be improved is if I don't have to have it open in the tab at all, right? And that's certainly possible, too. The number four, and also from them, is talking about prototyping tools. And, of course, this is a never-ending procrastination tool in, in itself. And, like, man, what is out there now for me to play with? To, like, waste time trying to figure out a new tool. And they're talking about Envision, Marvel, Atomic, and then there's Adobe Comet, which is supposed to be coming out sometime this year. Yeah, I have had the privilege of playing a little bit with Comet, and uh, because it's in like closed beta, or very limited beta, and I have a friend who has access, and I got to have access through them, and (laughs) it's really pretty cool. I mean, the really the best tools are the ones that everyone on your team is going to a have access to and b use as part of their regular workflow so i find like i've i've played with a ton of wireframing tools um my favorite by the way is uh this is just balsamic mock-ups just in terms of like click and drag wireframing but like anytime that i have to kind of change my environment as in you know oh i'm doing something over here and now i have to open software like for me that's distracting like i've got a lot of like little um print off documents that have grids on them or are grids inside of a phone or whatever and i find like the earliest prototyping is like sketching is so awesome and what i found out i start to do now is that i will just use my phone and take a picture of that and you know the phone is like high resolution so like then i finally pull it up on my computer and then we start like commenting on it and stuff and yeah there's gonna be like whoever like nails that prototyping tool has a lot of money coming to them if, if they can just really know there's just so many options um and you just use whatever works for the team or whatever but but man if you can it's like slack like slack suddenly was nowhere last year i don't know um but now it is the de facto tool to communicate ever (laughs) um so if there can be like a slack for prototyping tools and you know what i want to be surprised if that prototyping tool integrates with slack um then we're somewhere Slack was my number five, and because it's talking about, um, like, real-time communication is really back in, IRCs, Hangouts, etc. I mourn Google Wave, but but Slack in a lot of ways is just like it. It really is. But, like, superpower. We talked, I think... um... I think it was, I think we were, I think this is one of the things that hit the cutting room floor with our interview with, um... I think it was Chad. Was it with Chad? Um, I thought it was with, um, this is one of those things where I feel bad. Um, I remember the Twitter handle. Ah, Courtney McDonald Green. Okay, so I'm pretty sure that we were talking 
to her about how awesome Google Wave was. <laughs> um, because I liked it. I loved it so much as like a, it's going to sound really, this is going to be a deep cut, but as like a online vampire, the masquerade role-playing tool. Because it's perfect. Because it was, it was an IRC that you could walk away from and then come back and catch up. So yeah, I'm, I'm not going to lie. There is a, there may be a Slack channel out there where me and my friends are uh, rolling some dice. <laughs> I just listened to my husband play D&D on Slack two what? days ago. Amazing. The Slack, Slack <laughs> yes, is amazing. Everybody's let me, using let it. Let me, like, Slack also ties into one of my earlier predictions about API-driven design, right? Notice the reason that Slack, one of the reasons that Slack is so popular isn't just that it's, really it's probably because anything can integrate with it, but because it's ubiquity too, right? Like, one of the things I love is that I have Slack on my phone. I have Slack on my MacBook. I've got Slack on my Windows machine at work. I've got... Um, I've even got Slack in my email, right? Like if someone like there's a big discussion or I'm mentioned or whatever, Slack will send me like a daily notification of things that I have missed. Um, and that is so crucial. It's It requires zero effort to at least have an idea of what's happening in Slack because Slack reaches out to you and lets me know. So I don't even have to check it. Man, I think that's, I think that's really important. And Slack has a huge development team behind it and they're able to do this, but... Again, these tools are coming down, you know, they're trickling down to, like, small web teams. And, you know, this kind of, like, reach out and capture your attention or ubiquity is totally possible for, like, the library now. Yeah, we had a website meeting yesterday, and we have a hard deadline for when our site is launching. And so we were talking about nice-to-haves, but we need to focus on requirements for what has to be there on day one. And then I was just like, you know what, guys? We don't have to sit here and discuss this right now and figure it out. Let's just slack it, and then I'll put it up on our whiteboard downstairs. Amazing. So for, you know, like a UX team, perfect. And we send, like, prototypes, screenshots and stuff all the time through it. So my final closing thing is we'd love to hear what trends you're thinking about and seeing. You know, just head us up wherever we are over on Twitter or Slack, or just visit us at our website and find us from of there. Of course, if you're on Facebook, there is a LibUX community, uh, groups slash LibUX. Um, but we also spun out our own LibUX Facebook page, and it would be really cool if you want to show us any kind of uh, support that you go and like that. Um, the reason being is that we, you know, we don't want to spam the community with uh, all of the stuff that we make so we're just going to spam our own page it's also going to let us like experiment with like some facebook advertisements so i'm kind of excited about that hit us up on facebook in any number of ways hit us up on linkedin hit us up on twitter google plus in slack libux.herokuapp.com and of course our home on the web libux.co we'll see you later bye <laughs>